Welcome to our eighth session of the Apostles' Creed, what it says and ways it means. My name is Brent Strawn. I teach at Duke Divinity School, uh, but most important, I am married to Holly Strawn, who is on staff here at Christ Central Church. Uh, by way of review, we've been walking through the creed with two crucial creedal questions. Do you believe this creed, and how do you believe this creed? How do you practice this creed? Being a Christian has meant for centuries now believing and practicing this creed or something very much like it. And uh, we've also continued to come back to two mottos about the creed that were uh, offered by Nicholas Lash in his work on the creed. The first is short words and endless learning. Uh, the creed is short, but it takes a lifetime to learn what it means. And then uh, what the scriptures say at length, the creed says briefly. So the creed is a, something of a distillation or summary, but the scripture remains an open book. We've covered a lot in the creed. In fact, we've covered everything in the creed except for one final part, the word amen, the last word of the creed. In this session, I want to talk about amen and then offer some concluding remarks on the creed and our study of it. We will have one final session after this one uh, that is uh, devoted to some questions and answers about the creed, some Q&A. So if you haven't yet sent in some questions and you have some, please do so ASAP. All right, without further ado, let's turn then to the final word of the creed, amen. That's how the creed ends, with amen. It's a Hebrew word, as you probably know, and it's a word that is found in prayer context, especially at the end of prayers, especially at the end of other people's prayers, where those listening agree and say amen. So there's a few things to observe about this word, amen. First, maybe saying amen makes the Apostles' Creed into a kind of prayer. And if so, maybe that is because we need to pray and ask for God's help because we need God's help to practice this creed, to endlessly live it, to endlessly live with it, to be true to the promises that we make and that we have made every time we say and recite, I do or that is, I believe, in the one true God, according to the creed. The second thing to note here is that prayers in Scripture are often poetic, uh, if not actually full-on poems. One thinks of the Psalms, for instance. So maybe the Apostles' Creed should be thought of not simply as a prayer, but also as a poem. Notice how short it is, after all, and and on the page, how much white space there is, and how it has a jagged right-hand margin. Those are clear signs that we are dealing with poetry. If the Apostles' Creed is a poem, it's a, a, if it's a prayer-like poem, then we can expect a few things. One is that it will be spare. Remember, it's only 77 words in Latin. It will be spare, and at the same time, it will be dense in meaning. We can expect that it will contain and use profound metaphors and images, and we can expect that we will have to continue to come back to it, that, that it will continue to yield its many meanings, ways it means, only slowly and patiently over time, maybe, in fact, a full lifetime, endless learning, after all. Poetry is tricky 
literature, after all. It's also our highest linguistic art form. It demands much from us. But what else would we expect? What else should we expect when we are talking about the triune God? A tweet will not do when you're talking about something as important as that. But poetry might. The third thing I want to say about amen is that amen, of course, means something. And it means something quite ethical. In fact, amen is supercharged ethically. It means, yes. It means, that's right. It means, I agree or, or we agree that I or we commit to what has just been said. Saying amen, therefore, is agreeing, it's concurring, it's asserting, it's hoping, it's praying that what was said is right and true and that it might be so. I've paraphrased amen for us in the handout on the creed that was distributed. My paraphrase on the handout goes something like this, that amen means yes, that's what I believe. I expect and hope it to happen. I live like it is and live so that it will. Yeah, that's, that's serious. That's a serious way of putting it. But here's another rendition that's in the same ballpark. It would go something like this. We agree. May it be so. That's what we think, believe, and hope will happen and is in fact the case. And we pledge ourselves to it and to do our part. That's what amen means, and well, yeah, again, that is quite serious. So, a few farther thoughts on this serious point about how serious amen is. First, we ought not say amen lightly. Don't go throwing around your amens. This point is related, I think, to the third commandment of the Ten Commandments about not taking up the name of the Lord lightly, as if it was nothing, just throwing it around to any and every cause. Amen is like that. It's a precious, serious word. Don't throw it around lightly. Instead, maybe we should think about James 5.12, about letting our yes be yes, only saying yes and amen to things that we are serious about because amen is the most serious of words. In fact, it may be the most serious word that we ever utter. The second thought about this serious word, amen, is that understood in this way, amen is the perfect counterpart to how the creed begins with credo, I believe. Credo, I believe, is not just mental assent, remember. That would be something like cogito. Instead, credo is a confession of trust. It's, it's a pledge of allegiance, of obedience. It's, it's nothing short of and quite akin to a marriage vow, saying, I do. If that's right, then in the creed, as I've said before in this series, we are marrying God. We are pledging ourselves to God. And, and that's clear from the start, I think, with credo, I believe. And it's also clear at the end with amen. Yes, exactly right. I, I agree. I am fully on board. 
even if it takes a lifetime to learn what this marriage might and will mean. Because, after all, that's how it goes with marriage. Well, with amen, we have finally finished the Apostles' Creed. But let me make a few final remarks by way of conclusion. The first one is to stick with this marriage analogy a little bit and go back to that teaser video way back when that Daniel and I did, where we joked around with what the Apostles' Creed isn't. And one of those things was the Apostles' Creed isn't everything that isn't the Apostles' Creed. It's a strained grammar, but it was uh, also supposed to be a joke. But just like our, our spouses are one of a kind, uh, that's what I'm getting at with this, with this analogy. When we marry our spouses, we are not marrying anyone else but our spouse. Our spouses are not all those who are not our spouse. <laughs> Again, it's confusing, right? It's not the best joke. But the point is that so also in the Apostles' Creed, we confess and pledge ourselves to God in this creed or, or in something very much like this creed, what that means when we do that is that we cannot and will not pledge ourselves to anyone or anything other than the one true God. Church, the Christian faith, is a most serious commitment the most serious commitment. It's a lifelong marriage. It isn't a country club or a community organization or a social circle. It's a long, gritty marriage full of ups and downs that will not stand for any rival paramours. That, I think, is why Scripture sometimes says that our God is a jealous God. Confessing the creed is therefore a profoundly countercultural act. It says that no one and nothing in this world can, can command our allegiance, our loyalty, our love, our lives, as does the one true God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Believing in God means not believing in anything that is not the one true God. That's what the creed is ultimately about. Well, here's a second concluding remark, and it's to quote Professor Lash once more. What the scriptures say at length, the creed says briefly. Here, I encourage you to keep Scripture open, even as you read it with creedal glasses. The handout that I distributed has some connections of the creed to the Ten Commandments on the one hand and the Lord's Prayer on another. But that's just the beginning. Uh, There's all sorts of other connections that you can make. And of course, there's much that's not in the creed that's also found in Scripture. So, Uh, What the scriptures say at length, the creed says briefly, and scripture remains an open book. So keep that book open as you think about the creed and learn more about it. And then uh, my final thought has to do with that second 
motto from Professor Last: short words, endless learning. Or let's, let's use a different phrasing because we've used that one so much. How about this one from St. Augustine? Be not irked to say your creed. Isn't that a great way to put it? Be not irked to say your creed. Don't be annoyed to say it. In fact, you should say it, Augustine said, at least twice a day. Be not irked to say it again and again, at least twice a day, maybe even as a prayer. And be not irked to live it out again and again. Be not irked to talk about it and teach it to your kids if you have some and, and talk with them about it. I've heard, in fact, that some of you who do have small children are teaching the creed to your kids, and that's wonderful. Keep it up. I can't wait to hear about that and see some of it. You don't need to know everything yet to do all that, to repeat the creed, to pray it, to talk about it, to teach it. I mean, it's a poem after all, right? And it will take a lifetime, maybe even an eternity, to figure out what all it might mean. And so we can, we will, and we must keep coming back to the creed, coming back to this creed to learn all that it says and the myriad ways that it means. But I believe, I truly believe, that would be a credo here, I truly believe that if we do keep at it, it will make all the difference in the world. In fact, I'm so confident of that that I think I'm just going to go ahead and say amen. Thanks for listening.